Greetings all, my name is Scott Medeiros and I am the president of Helmwise Growth Consultants, a firm dedicated to helping small and medium-sized businesses prepare for and sustain growth. I would like to personally welcome you to our new podcast, Powerhouse Perspective, Empowering Leaders for Business Breakthroughs. In episode one, I am honored to share a conversation with Chandler Rose, CEO of the Rosewood Family of Companies, where we discuss the importance of organizational values in discovering your personal why. As well-known author and inspirational speaker, Simon Sinek states, it all starts with why. First ever podcast conversation with Scott and Chandler. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to this discussion. We have lots of discussions at different times during the, the workday and even sometimes after hours. I think it's great to share some of our insights with, with our listeners. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it goes, see where we uh, you know, lead some discussion topics, certainly between the two of us. Hopefully in the future, bring in some other folks you and I can sit down and, and interview and talk through some of our, our ideas and lessons and learn from them as well. So look forward to that for sure. Absolutely. And I think what's unique is I've got decades of experience with mainly multinationals, obviously some medium business and small businesses, but you have the entrepreneur spirit. You've built the Rosewood family of companies. And so coming from the top and the bottom is a great opportunity for us to share lessons from both sides that hopefully will benefit a lot of other businesses besides ourselves. And sure, but and not to run a lot down the resume road, but I think it is also important to consider your military history, the training and type of leadership you come from, and then the psychology and much more interest in the uh, Cialdini and the Absolutely. Uh, psychology of influence and gratitude, hope, and optimism. So emotional intelligence side and, and pure leadership skill that you bring you know, through your experience in business, but certainly through your military experience as well, all the way to university experiences. Huh? Yeah, absolutely. I think the things I've learned most becoming part of the Rosewood family of companies is truly around gratitude, hope, and optimism. It's not something we talk a lot about in big enterprise, big business, but it is so core to what we do here at the smaller family-oriented uh, operations. And so having an understanding of that is very, very important. I know for us, it starts with why, Yeah. right? So let's kind of kick it off with, how did you come up with, or how did you and the other members of the Rosewood family of companies come up with our why? My personal why, I stumbled upon probably in late high school, actually that long ago. So purpose-driven life, which is probably a good place to find one Rick Warren. Um, and so he wrote that book mainly on religious topics, certainly living out Christianity in your life. But the real part that stuck with me was the differentiation between people who go out and serve in missions or in philanthropy or in callings and those that build organizations that fund it. So what they call kingdom builders. And so I felt like that leadership, the ability to find some success in business and fund great missions, individuals, certainly we do work with, you know, shelters. Shirley Shelter down in Georgia comes to mind. It's been out there. We do a lot international on uh, sex slave trade um, that Meredith is interested in. So that's a personal why. So we sat down with our group of leaders several years back and really tried to talk through how that works out in the company, our opinion on employees, um, opinion on hiring young and trying to get people more experience and growing them. And it, it led to you know, what we're really doing is building organizations, building opportunities, building wealth in order to multiply what we've been blessed with. 
And so our clients, you know, it's a blessing for them to trust us across the different companies. It's a blessing for employees to be able to come here and us to have an opportunity to advance their career, hopefully, but also all from non-direct, I guess, business training through the different university programs and Wake Tech and, and different opportunities there. And so multiple blessings seem to fit pretty well with the team. And it is definitely a driver that pushes you even when maybe finances and economy, because we bought a company out of bankruptcy, we've ridden some ups and downs across the different companies. You can always find ways to bless others um, in a lot of ways other than just financially. So time, influence. Um, we've worked a lot with Brad Formsma, who has the uh, seven ways to be generous. Right. Um, I like giving. I like giving. Yes. yes. And I hope it's seven, Brad. Otherwise, you'll be upset with me. Yeah. But uh, I should have worn my bracelet. He gave me a bracelet when he was in town about a month ago that has them listed on there, but your thoughts, your prayers, your influence, your, um, certainly your words. Um, Absolutely. And so, and then time is one you've spoken of. I've seen you speak on that in uh, classes at, at Campbell University on time is the thing you can't, can't make more of, and it's going yeah, fast. One thing so. you can't buy. So exactly. speaking of that, why it gives you a reason, you know, you go all the way back to is it Nietzsche that said you can endure anyhow. So exactly right. When things get tough, if you have a solid why, uh, you'll get up and go again because life is full of failures and disappointments mixed in with obviously uh, great things and great opportunities and joys. Uh, so why do you get up and go again and pivot and adjust and start something new? Uh, and that's the, the why is key to that. And you have to find it. I've seen a lot in big enterprise. We always talk about the mission, right? And lately, the mission has translated into purpose and from purpose into why. Simon Sinek maybe made it very popular with his golden circle. But it sounds as if you began the very first company of the Rosewood family of companies, ProVantage, with a purpose or why in mind from the beginning, a foundational element where many kind of get on or jump on the bandwagon or go with the fad of things that are being talked about. It sounds like you were purposeful in the beginning and saying, we're going to build the first very company. We took it out of bankruptcy and put this foundational principle driven element into it. Is that true? That's correct. We, we started right out of the gate. Generosity and philanthropy were part of the original start to the organization. When we did the acquisition, it was made clear to the uh, former owners that that would occur. Um, and it's, it's been core to, you know, like I said, a reason to get up to work late, buying a company out of bankruptcy, living on the road for several years, working out in the field with my wife and I. Sometimes you need a reason to get up um, and you don't always see a financial reward anywhere in the immediate or even potentially new or near term. And so if it's not in front of you and it's not really within grasp, what drives you um, and you need Absolutely. an internal drive? Yeah. And so why is uh Yeah, we we brush it over. Um, certainly children ask why a million times they're trying to search that out. <laughs> sure, um, sure. You know, a little bit of that from some of the psychology is they are moving from purely trying to satisfy the desire to eat, you know, up to about two years old. They're just trying to do what nature's telling them, you know, something's wrong. You need to find your parents. You need to sleep. You need to eat. As soon as they get a little bit of consciousness, the very first question that starts popping over and over again is why, why, why? Yeah. And we blow that off. I think you and I have found, even discussing with leaders, other business owners, many times they don't know why, why they go to work, why they continue to advance their careers, uh, you know, why are they even here? And it is fundamental to really humility, resilience, and grit. So talk to me a little bit about how you've seen it play out 
I would say even in in military or see it not play out in big enterprise because I feel like it can get lost in the bureaucracy somewhat in a bigger enterprise. Yeah, I agree. I think it does get lost. You know, when you started speaking about the why and how it kind of originated here for Rosewood, you mentioned the word serve. And for me, being a military officer, that's why I was driven into the military was to serve, to serve my country. And I think that need to serve or be a servant leader tends to be the thing that most people generate their why from. If they really aren't looking to do something for someone other than themselves, I think it's difficult. It's easy to get distracted when you're looking internally. And what I found in corporate enterprise is that it's largely you're a number, you're an employee. So when you get hired for a big Fortune 50 firm, you really want to be part of a that company because you understand the brand, you want to be part of that brand, you want the association, but you really don't do a lot of research into what they're all about. You just know that they're a big company, it can offer you a, a perhaps a, a very beneficial financially position, and you want to go be part of that. Now, once you get into the organization, yes, you'll have values, they'll be on the walls, you'll read about them in your new employee handbook and those sort of things. But my experience over nearly 25 years in big enterprise across you know, six or seven different large Fortune 100 companies, it wasn't something that was reinforced every single day. You'll hear about it every now and then. Maybe the CEO or maybe one of your division presidents will give an award for someone demonstrating one of the values or one of those things. But it's not ingrained. And I won't say that during the interview process, they really are evaluating people for alignment with the why. And I think that's the key part. You mentioned how important it is to have a personal why. If you can align your personal why with a corporate why, then you've got something. Now you truly have power and synergy. But the problem is, do you understand what the corporate why is? And more importantly, is it true? Or is it something that is more from a marketing standpoint rather than a true belief system? And I think that's the difference here in Rosewood is that, like you said, it was built from the beginning. And if you're not aligned with the why, it's a tough go as being a member of the, of the Rosewood family of companies because we believe so much in it. You mentioned, is it true? And, and I, yes. It really clues up a lot of what we see in society as a whole now is the, the propensity to judge people by the failure to live up to their why or failure to live up to their core values or whatever they decide to call those values. How do you differentiate between aspirational whys and aspirational values versus hypocrisy, I guess, is a a good way to. When I think about values, especially, I think back to Patrick Conchoni's book, The Advantage. And in here, he talks about different types of values. You've got your core values, which are really fundamental to yourself. If you don't have those core values, then the problem is you can't go get them because they're core. Then you have aspirational values. Then you have pay to play values and those sort of things. I think a lot of people put values down and they want them to be aspirational. But at the same time, you've got to understand that it's not just the the thought that you want to do it. You've got to take active steps to try to live those values. And I think that's the big difference is the fact that you can't just talk about them, you have to actually walk the talk. And you're going to make mistakes. And one of the great things that we have in our value system is grace, right? Because you're going to make mistakes. We don't expect anything to be perfect. But at the same time, we do expect effort, which goes back to you mentioned about grit. You know, and it's my opinion that today some people just don't want to work hard, right? They're, they, they are enamored with the fact that they can be associated with a higher level why or a higher level value, 
but really don't realize the effort it takes to try to achieve that. And more importantly, hold others accountable as well. Because if you're not willing to have a conversation with the person to the left, the person to the right, guess what? It's only you. And you're going to need the person to the left and the person to the right in order to achieve something bigger than you can on your own. So I think they are, they get watered down a little bit, but I think the big difference is, are you committed to those aspirational whys? I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think that that commitment, I view that commitment with a little different description. Um, and I've, I've spoken about this many times uh, with different groups and different folks, is I really measure whether they adhere to those by how many times they get back up and recommit. And we have uh, created a situation, again, where that lens is binary. You, you made it or you didn't. You passed or you failed. And reality is we're all going to fail. And so how many times do you admit that failure actively, to your point, rededicate yourself, adjust, move forward and try to find new ways to achieve that or live it out? Um, because, you know, obviously um, we can live out, multiply your blessings in the many ways we discussed. But we are going to fail often to reflect that daily. Uh, we're going to fail in values on occasion for that as well. And so hopefully that failure, one, is not used as a reason to throw the values in the wild way. And two, you speak about grit. Yes. There's an awful lot of people that refuse to pursue those things for fear of failure. Absolutely. And if they have a mindset in their head that if I don't fully achieve one of the core values or my why, then I failed. And I think you and I have spoken how the why creates the resilience, creates the willingness to get back up. And it's the pursuit of that why that creates this taking on the responsibility, making incremental steps that brings joy, not the actual ascertaining that ultimate you know, mission or however you want to state it, the why itself. Talk a little bit about you know, your readings and experience on the difference in pursuing a good why in alignment with your values versus reaching some goal that you've set out there. Yeah, I think it's it's obviously easier to, to set a goal. And usually that goal is going to be something truly obtainable, right? Because otherwise, who's going to really stretch too hard? And and But when you achieve that goal, if indeed that was the pure purpose, then you stop growing. You actually stop learning because you've achieved the goal. So I think it's important that you always set a goal that you're trying to reach and then you push that bar even higher and continue to go. And, and I think that's important in organizations as well. One of the areas that I see quite often is that we don't define well what is expected. We, we talk in generalities and we know that the more specific you make something, the more difficult it is sometimes because you can't move left or right because you've defined it too, too narrowly. But I do think it's important to have an understanding of what the goal is and what the goal looks like. Well, I've read it you know, quite a few times, whether it's Lencioni, whether it's in Collins or whether it's with John Maxwell, about the need to let people know what good looks like. Right. And know truly what they're trying to achieve. And actually, we did that here within Rosewood with ju just our values, because we can state a value of we before me. Right. It sounds pretty simple. But really, what does that mean? And we actually went through an exercise uh, of trying to define that. What's that mean to a leader? What's that mean to an employee? What's that mean to a customer? And try to get more definition around it so that we could better associate whether or not we were meeting that goal or that value in this particular instance. So I think any good goal has to be well defined, but any good goal should stretch you. If it's easy, chances are it's, it's probably not going to grow you because, quite frankly, it's too easy. Well, we've, we've 
moved a little bit off on the goals. So let's circle back to the why. Sure. Uh, and another area that you and I have worked on, principally you have worked on, is similar to your goal discussion of breaking that down and defining it. So if we have this why that's, you know, the Rosewood why. Right. Why do we break that down among the companies and ask each company leader and, and business within the Rosewood family of companies to come up with their own why? And why do you take that and then break that down and disseminate it all the way down? Correct. To the labor level, maybe do higher level of what it means to them, because they may not have some huge aspiration. Yes. And not identify with the multiply your blessings or, you know, name the why within the organization. So kind of break that Give me a little lay of the land of how you think the why should operationally, I guess, kind of be put into a company and, and disseminated. Yeah, sort of the decomposition of the higher level why down to the different levels within organization. You know, we hope that when we hire people into the organization and we were clear up front that we are a value driven organization, that we have a very defined why, that's going to attract like minded people. Now, some of them are going to be truly, really bought in and will be really aligned. Some of them, again, are going to be drawn to it because it's more aspirational for them. But we also have to understand that every person is an individual. And if through communication we find out what their individual why is, chances are good we can show them how what they're trying to achieve personally actually helps us achieve it organizationally and how what their personal why actually builds into and contributes to our company level why. So we've talked about something about vertical alignment. And what we mean by vertical alignment is you've got the organizational why or the relationship why, perhaps you're working with a client or partner, and how important it is to define that. But that next level down, whether it's the leadership and management level, they need to do a little self-reflection and say, what is my why? And how does my why tie into and reinforce Force the company's why. And then they need to go down to their direct reports or maybe even their field personnel and ask them, again, what are you trying to achieve? What is your personal why? And use that identification of the personal why to show them how it actually contributes to their why and how their why then boils up and contributes to the company's level why. And we call that connection from the top to the bottom and the bottom to the top the vertical alignment of purpose or why. But we don't spend a lot of time doing that. We tend to stay at the top level, we advertise it, but we don't have those conversations at the mid-grade and lower levels of organization to say, what are your whys? What is your personal why? And how can we assist you in achieving your why? And at the same time, have it help us achieve our overarching organizational why. So I think you need to align it top to bottom, and it's got to be decomposed with the individuality of the employee tied into the collectiveness of the organization. I heard recently that if you can't explain to each individual how the piece that they're working on fits into the overall puzzle, it's not needed. And so it shouldn't be there. So not only should you be willing to take the time, which I think is uh, probably where uh, myself and other leaders fail is because the amount of time it takes to decompose that why and explain it to everyone at each level. And then also have the humility to say, you know what, my explanation doesn't really fit, you know, to the new hire that's doing coordinating calls in a call center. Mm -hmm. And so I need to put a little more thought into, are we building out something that includes these people? So when we, we use words that are a little more politically charged of inclusion, it truly takes time to let them know how their individual personal why, which they may not even have, which we'll get into in a moment, uh, ties into their job, their next promotion, 
their department, maybe their level of, of leadership directly above them, the company and so on. And so that effort and, and time and consideration is well worth the investment, but easy to skip because there's no direct return. Um, that may be a return that's months or years later, and it may not even be while they're employed here. So, Well, there, there are a lot of things there. One of the things that quickly came to mind as you were giving me that information and was the fact that we don't spend a lot of time, we meaning business, really trying to connect that individual into the organization. We see them purely as a cog in a machine. But we also know that, especially today with our millennials and with our Gen Z, they talk a lot about wanting to be part of something bigger than themselves. They want a purpose, right? And so in order to do that, you've got to be able to describe how, A, what they're trying to achieve actually contributes to what you're trying to achieve. And too many companies focus with what Simon Sinek would say from the outside in to the golden circle. They start with what, then they go to how, and then they finally end with why. When in reality, you got to start from the center and work your way out. Start with your why, go into your how, and go into your what. And and so for me, it's it's all about understanding that businesses is difficult because it consists of people. It'd be great if we're dealing with machines, but we're not. We're dealing with human beings. And so understanding, like you said, through the inclusivity, asking what their why is. Or more importantly, maybe they don't know. You mentioned that a second ago, right? Maybe they don't know. How can we help them understand and discover their why? You and I have spoken you know, quite a bit about emotional intelligence, EQ, and how important that is. And as you move up in an organization, that's more about your emotional intelligence than it is about your IQ, your true intellectual quotient, right? And so for our employees, it's important to help them in this this path of self-reflection and to ask themselves the questions about what are they truly interested in. And if they're confused or they don't know, that's okay. Right. We if we are truly dedicated to our people, and we are committed to our people. We're, we're curious about why and how we can help them, because that's how, how we multiply our blessings by allowing them to discover their blessings and show them how they can contribute to ours. Very good. I think the younger generation, which is a great attribute that we have not successfully we've been again, business and leadership tapped into is they don't like doing things they view as useless. Correct. And so back to that failure to connect the why or to connect the task that they are assigned to the bigger picture and how it all builds up. And so sort of we, we may even decompose it down on why they should do it, but we don't take the time to explain how that feeds back up the feeds chain. back up the chain. Exactly. And build right. something. Exactly right. Uh, and so we need to do that second half. And I do believe a lot of leaders lack what we talk about quite a bit, humility enough to admit if maybe in that explanation it was useless yes yeah bringing up authors here because you know i I read quite a bit you bring up patrick lynchoni and his five dysfunctions of a team and he talks about the importance of trust you got to have trust before you actually can deal with with conflict and how a dysfunction is the fear of conflict but you have to be willing to be transparent we know that's part of our values to be that transparent accountability so if any employee i shouldn't say our employees but if any employee doesn't see that their leadership is human that they make mistakes but they own those mistakes they have the humility and say i got that wrong right i'm not i'm not perfect right so i'm asking for a little bit of grace from you and likewise i'm going to extend grace down to you as well when you make mistakes 
I think that humility piece is extremely important. And again, Patrick Lonachoni talks about it in the ideal team, team player. Somebody must be hungry, humble, and smart. And smart means people smart, going back to the emotional intelligence. But that, that humility piece is so important. And quite frankly, I've been humbled quite a few times, both in the military as well as in, in the commercial world. Was it easy to deal with? No. Was it necessary? Absolutely. And I can say that every single time where I felt that humility or even some embarrassment, I grew from it and learned from it. I could have used it as a woe is me, a more victim mentality. But no, I chose to say, as John Maxwell says in his book, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. And it's just another learning evolution. And we must understand that to be humble means you are willing to learn. And also it shows the wisdom for you to say, I don't know. I got it wrong. Well, and I think the learn part is certainly more relevant, I would argue, in the last decade and certainly will be in the next decade as AI comes on. Yes. You're not learning from the younger employees and the newer employees, the fresh ideas. So you may not have been wrong. You may have just been outdated. And so you have a task that they know through chat GPT or Mm -hmm. one of the other AIs. We don't need to perform that task anymore. Or there is a formula, a system, a program, and it may not be that sophisticated. It may be dry erase boards in a storage container that's on a job site. Why are you telling me to handwrite all these inventories, send them in? I could do that, snap a picture. could be now some much more economical, cheap inventory system to just run that that works on a smartphone that now is available. But, you know, if you go to, I believe it's Moore's Law, on the speed mm-hmm. of business yep. and technological advancement, we are at a lightning pace uh, right now that has accelerated from, you know, nothing was on the web 15 years ago when we started. There were not smartphones. That's right. That's right. And so from there, we've gone from no smartphones to genius AI smartphones with cameras that do all kinds of sophisticated things um, that can do calculations in the cloud. which. Right. You know, most people had on-site servers. That was typical. Now it is rare. Uh, I know some people are bringing back many versions of that, and that's a whole different topic. But, uh, you know, certainly that pace of Moore's Law is moving very quick now. So any thoughts on I have a lot of thoughts, actually. You offered a lot of things, especially around the newest sort of things that we're we're talking about, which is AI or ChatGPT and some of the other tools. And, And I think what's... What's important about that, and you and I have spoken about this, is that, you know, chat GPT or any AI tool is going to provide you information. It's still on the individual to turn it into intelligence because it's only going to report what it knows or what it it believes to be true based on the amount of information it had to draw its conclusion from. But that information could have been false to start with. And now you're drawing on false information to get a, a new, now a false answer. There was a book written by uh, General Jack Dempsey called uh, Radical Inclusion. And he talked about the, what he called the digital echo. And what he said is that information moves so quickly in today's environment that, you know, once the a false piece of information gets out, it moves so fast through the the ecosystem of technology, whether it's social media or other mechanisms, the media itself, et cetera, that if it's false, it's moving so fast that the truth can't catch up to it. And so for me, it's more important that we continue to reinforce to our employees that you must be critical in in your thinking or use critical thinking. Just because something says A, B, or C doesn't make it true. 
right? And so use your intelligence, use your experience, ask questions of the information to ensure that it indeed is accurate. And more importantly, especially if that information that you now received is counter to your why or counter to the values of the organization. You owe it to yourself and owe it to the organization to go the next step and to validate the information is correct. And I think that's the thing that we're gonna have to guard against. We're gonna be so quick to use these new AI tools because we want things faster that we're not gonna spend the time to validate that the information that's given to us is actually accurate and correct, which is probably more important than anything else. I attribute a lot more of people's inaction to fear than I do laziness, to be honest. Okay. Um, And so you brought up comparing it to your why. Yes. I give the analogy often in our, uh, you know, executive level meetings, and you and I've discussed it of captaining a boat out on the water. Yes. And your why being your North Star. Yeah. And it's your North Star that you can quickly take an analysis of where you are. And so I'm of the opinion there's a good segment of the population that truly doesn't want to pull down and state their why, much less their their actual values or how you would put them into, you know, into action. Because once they do that, they've laid a, a, a measurement tool, a barometer, a, whatever you would like to call it. They put it out on the table. A lot of the fear of, hum, you know, lack of humility and a lot of people who are, if you're listening, you know, you certainly have met your most arrogant leaders or name the person that you know that you and your heart know they actually have very low self-esteem. Yes. And so they're actually afraid to have a discussion and be held accountable. And so bringing it back to the why and that North Star, how do you think that plays out again in an endurance and in, in personal growth and true self-reflection? Yeah. And And why do you think that it's I would I would argue feared more than it is uh, lazy. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I can look back over my career now, you know, six decades on the planet. And so my perspective is perhaps different than it was when I was 22 years old going and becoming a Marine Corps pilot because things change. The, the North Star aspect, the long term vision is so important. It's so we're, we're a, a society that likes instant gratification. But we've got to understand that going through difficulty, adversity, builds that grit, builds that resilience that we're talking about. But you have to understand that you're going through that because there's a longer term objective or goal or North Star that you're trying to reach. And I don't understand why people set such near term challenges. They need to set longer term challenges. And I do believe, as you mentioned, in, in a way, you've met, you challenged us as an executive team. Are you, are you seeking pleasure or are you avoiding pain? And, and I, I think in some cases, they just want to avoid the pain. They want the quick win. They want the quick solution, right? Because their, their focus is too narrow. They're too close to themselves. You know, but how do you have a conversation with a, a 20-something who's coming into the workforce and talking to him about long-term plans. It's sort of like you need to save for retirement that is 40 years away. Some of it, hey, I just want to go out and buy that new trinket, you know, device, car, whatever the case may be. But you've got to have that long-term focus. And we as businesses need to have the long-term focus. Because I also see that in the entrepreneur world, sometimes you get the feeling that people want to make a quick dollar. They want to capitalize on the current situation. So you have to ask yourself, what is your true why? Is your true why just to be transactional? 
And, and as we're seeing with people moving to remote working and you know what happened through COVID is that relationships are less important because we see things as being transactional. We get on a Zoom call and we, and, and we drop it. Well, the thing is, we're actually losing the fact of communicating, connecting, which is really what you need for long-term growth. So you talk about personal growth. You've got to invest in relationships. As difficult as that is, that's where the future is. You're going to acquire more and achieve more together than you ever will individually. So you, if you don't establish relationships, whether that's continuing to foster those in your family, with your spouse, perhaps, or with your closest friends, um, but also with your clients and those partners. And I know you, Chandler, you speak to a lot of different people at different levels because you're constantly just expanding your knowledge and network because it's those relationships that are going to get you through tough times. You know, when you're on that ship and you need someone to you know, grab that line or whatever the case may be, it'd be great if you have someone to, to ask for help versus you being a single person on that ship adrift in the big ocean. I think it's easy to conflate. And I think that's one reason you brought up the generational difference, not yes. not in the Gen X sense, but even within yourself. So myself as a 20-year-old, 30-year-old, 40-year-old, 50- and 60-year-old, et cetera. So the, the different versions of, of myself. To me, the why is – how you are pursuing whatever that big, hairy, audacious goal to steal from Collins is. So that mm-hmm. may change. So in your 20s, your goals are certainly different. 30s, 40s, 50s, yeah. what's important to you. Yes, yes. No matter what age, I think that if we take the time to properly explain it, we can still critique even a 10-year-old, which I have, on whether she is pursuing whatever the goal is, getting a dollhouse, whatever. Correct. I guess we've been past that now because she's 10, so maybe the seven-year-old, but it's how she's doing. How are they living it out? Is that in alignment with what they state they are here for, what their why is? You, You know, you say that you're a good person, an honorable person. Okay, well, when you're pursuing making more money, getting a new car, getting that house, renting that apartment, yes. whatever it may be that, you know, at 60, you view silly at this point. Yeah. Doesn't matter whether it's silly. How did they go about it? Did they pursue excellence? Did they bring in values and how they pursued? And so that's why I think that decomposing the why as a true North Star. So if you're navigating, the North Star is not where you're going. The North Star is what you use to identify where you are in the direction you're heading. Exactly right. Where you're going is your goal. So that's your big, hairy goal, and that may change at levels of an organization or decades of your life. But you always can look up and go, hey, am I in accordance with what I state I'm, I'm set out to pursue? And that is a distinction that, I, that takes some work and some effort and, again, I think is well worth the time because what you set out to pursue – Unfortunately, largely is not in your control. There's so many outside influences, things you don't control, economy, timing, resources, uh, where you're born, you know, who you know, education, million things, things in your control that you've done, maybe not so smart and things out of your control. But if you need to adjust where you're headed, it doesn't mean you adjust why you're moving. And that is a, a, a tough distinction, but I think an important one because, they, again, we get back to failure and, and you talked about that pursue pleasure versus avoid pain. pain well, sure. You know, it's pretty widely accepted to get in the psychology side that you're two and a half times the desire to avoid pain. So if your why is not core enough and not strong enough and that big, hairy, audacious goal is not big enough, aspirational enough, 
to overcome the two and a half times desire not to be yeah. embarrassed or not to be vulnerable, not to pursue something, you probably won't make it. And you brought up selfishness, selfish goals, selfish wise, almost certainly are never going to overcome that because the two and a half times is actually self-preservation. So if you're only looking to pursue yourself. Absolutely correct. Yes. Um, most times you're not going to make it out of fear because you're literally your genes are telling you, no, 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 it's too much risk there. You could potentially be hurt, not make it and fail. And so uh, there's a lot of psychological, logical, physiological and true business reasons to set up a why. Make sure that your BHAG doesn't violate sort of that why your big, hairy, audacious goal. And so that that's the what you plot as your final destination, which is different than your course, as you know, from being an aviator. Sure. And then how you have to course correct. And then eventually that destination may not work. You have some great examples of uh, what carrying a South Korean. Uh, yes. Officer, Commandant. Yes. And having to land. That's a good story. So talk about that. So we took off. You knew your mission. You knew why you were there. Correct. You're, you're taking this guy on board to give us a colorful story of how that actually played out in reality of changing course, having yeah. to take shelter, still yeah. knowing what you're trying to achieve and how you had to do it. So yes. Just, yes, this was, was back in the very early 90s, might have been 1990, uh, was in an exercise that the U.S. Marine Corps was conducting with the South Koreans uh, in South Korea. And I had the Korean commandant on board. Now, was, it was my job to transport him from point A to point B. Tell us what a commandant is. The commandant, the head of the South Korean Marine Corps. Okay. All right. Go. So the top top dog <laughs> in the South Korean uh, Marine Corps. So I was transporting him from point A to point B. He was going to watch an amphibious exercise, a joint exercise that the United States was doing with the South Koreans. And then we were going to transport him to his next location where he was going to observe some other military operations. Well, as we're transporting for him from the, the base that we took off from in, in Pohang, South Korea, we as we transited north towards North Korea, towards the border where this amphibious exercise was going on, we ran into snowstorms. And so a, a helicopter doesn't like visible ice. Those like it on the blades. And so I had to divert a couple of times in order to make sure we stayed in, in the appropriate conditions and still stayed on timeline. Well, once we get up there, we luckily got there, you know, safely, obviously, and uh, landed the aircraft. He watched the exercise. Well, now as we're transporting him back to his next location, well, we had used quite a bit of extra fuel trying to go around these snowstorms. And so we had to make some decisions to take a route that was a bit more challenging than it would have been if we could just go out to sea and, and, and take a safer route. And unfortunately, what happened during that period of time is we started getting into icing conditions and one of our engines to have had some difficulty. We had to land on initially on a jetty just to put the aircraft safely on on the ground. Uh, then we found out quickly that the, the sea state was not making it safe for us to stay on this this jetty and we had to relocate and land. But the whole idea here, though, is we had to make constant adjustments. But we still had our core North Star, our core mission in mind. First of all, stay safe. But secondly, to get the commandant where he needed to be and hopefully as close to the timeline as possible. And so for me as an aviator, you're constantly doing that. It's sort of like yourself. You spend a lot of time uh, on the ocean in, in, in your boat. You know, the sea states change and you must adjust. Same thing with life, same thing in business. And it's whether or not you understand where you're going and how these 
decisions you're making may take you away from the straight line course to your objective, but you still know that you can adjust back to it and what the extra effort is going to take to go back to it, whether it's extra fuel, whether it's extra time, whether or not you've got to uh, go into conditions that are less than advisory. But the bottom line is you still know your your North Star. You still have that point. And so for me, it's something I learned early as an aviator that you got to make adjustments, but you got to stay focused on the mission or the why. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I would push a little bit to break even apart that. I, I would say that your why was to be a top level aviator. My that personal why, yes. Personal why. That's, that, My that's, mission was to get the exactly, karate. That, but that's, that's who you were as an individual. Absolutely correct. Top level aviator. That correct. meant, I mean, in accordance with your values, that you followed all the safety and all the guidelines necessary to be a top level aviator. Absolutely. Now, your, your BHAG, your goal was to take this extremely high level officer to those destinations. Reality set in. Of correct. That plotted, you know, plan to get to that, that destination, which is a business or personal place. Direct line rarely works out, unfortunately. So, What's true? And then you have Absolutely to pivot right. and you have to move around. Right. But all the time, regardless of whether he's looking at his watch asking for you to get there or not, you know as a top-level aviator, you can't crash the helicopter. Absolutely correct. You know that you have to follow the safety and procedures in order to not crash it and to safely deliver in accordance with your who you are. And and if you lose any of those things, you are susceptible. I mean, I think that I saw, unfortunately, when um, – Kobe Bryant went down, yes, largely with pilot error. And Absolutely I think you correct. spoke to the number of people you had lost in your career, how often it was ego and pilot error, not machine. Yes. yes. And so they had lost what it really meant to be a top-level aviator yes. and went to ego and personal, selfish. Absolutely correct. And so give me a little breakdown of, not necessarily, well, a little breakdown, maybe people be interested in in. You know, your back of the napkin analysis, which turned out to be 100 percent accurate because you've flown the area where that that accident happened with Kobe. And so kind of where ego may have a pressure from from potentially. a Yes. A, your ta- high, your high visibility. Yes. You know, very important. You can say, hey, your boss wants you to do it. In this case, maybe it was the client in, in that particular aircraft. Yes. I mean, in military aviation is obviously has many, many lessons learned from bad decision-making, bad head work, we call it, or loss of situation awareness. Uh, and unfortunately, it is quite often that the mishaps that occur are pilot error. And unfortunately for me, during a course of my Marine Corps career, we lost about 26 close friends and people to include commanding officers and roommates, et cetera, because of things that went wrong from a decision-making standpoint. It wasn't that the aircraft came apart. It wasn't that they were under enemy fire. It's just they decided to do something that Quite frankly, they shouldn't have done. In the case of you know Kobe Bryant, it was obviously the weather conditions that caused that particular problem. And so really, as the pilot in command, you've got to understand that not only are you responsible for the safe operation of the aircraft, but also for your crew and your passengers in this particular situation. So the question is, you know, how much are you using the weather and the decision making around the weather in whether or not you're going to launch? and and make that decision and for me it's very common that people tend to launch they think they can fly under the the fog or fly through the fog where it's going to clear on time but the bottom line is you're making a bunch of decisions and or concessions in order to truly launch because you don't want to look bad in front of your client you want to see as the go-to person etc etc when you know the information in front of you is showing you and flashing with yellow or perhaps red lights that you shouldn't be doing this. I've seen it many times. We had a, a, a crew who 
was in a particular location. They were stuck there for several days because of weather, and they were just getting antsy to get home. They call it get homeitis. And so they launched with some very skosh weather conditions, and they end up impacting a ridgeline and you know killing themselves and seven other people who were in that aircraft. Um, and it it happened overseas. It caused all kinds of international incidences. There were, you know, the sensitivity of the location where it crashed. It was very, very difficult. But they did it not because they had to, because they wanted to get home. And they wanted to get home because they, number one, had been away from their uh, their squadron for a while. But quite frankly, they were holding a celebratory event that they wanted to go to as well. Right. And so people make those decisions. People, they do what they call flatheading in, in aviation, where you do things that you shouldn't do in the airplane. You want to go fast or you want to go, go. You want to make this great maneuver because it's going to look good for somebody on the ground. And I've seen people do that and some suddenly become smoking holes. Again, because their ego got into it. They wanted this quick jolt of adrenaline and all the things that they had learned, all that discipline that they, they had uh, put into becoming a, a very talented aviator, they put aside. And I think that we run that in business as well. We can easily get distracted by the latest and greatest, by someone barking at us, whether it's a client, right? We still have to look at truly what is aligned with our why and stay true to that particular focus and vision. Very, very important. Well, you brought up, I mean, excuse me, taking it back to business and, and leadership in general, you know, two of the things there, you know, it's not just your ego versus your desire to be a great aviator or a great leader. You know, maybe they want to be a great manager, a great CEO, a great president, a great team lead, whatever it may be. Right. Um, and so they truly believe that. But then they get the selfish eyes involved. Correct. Maybe that why is not enough, honestly, to, to pull them out of it. But as you said there, if they take a little time and a little bit of gratitude and a little bit of, of looking around, they'd realize they're responsible for the other people. Correct. And so when you see leaders that are only only out for themselves, which every person on this, you know, listening to this has, has heard, a lot of that is, one, they don't have a good defined why, and two, they're not looking beside them and behind them of who they're actually responsible for. Yes. And so servant leadership that you brought up is key to that. You've got to set why you want to be the leader, why you want to run a business, why you want to work somewhere. You, you, that is that is crucial. But a servant heart is that second level of of really ensuring everyone's propensity to be selfish. Everyone self-preservation is right. as natural as it comes. You mentioned Again, how important it is to do that self-evaluation to make sure that you're aligned with your why. And I know you've probably felt this as a CEO, and it's it's well known that a lot of CEOs, they, they feel a bit isolated. And I think what's important, I spoke about it earlier about relationships and the important relationships, is you got to find that accountability partner. That's someone who, you know, who's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, do you really want to do this? Because what you're about to do, you said you want to do X. You said your company's mission was Y. You said your personal Y was Z. Do you realize that what you're about to do or what you're saying or how you're acting even is not congruent with that? Because doing it yourself is very, very difficult. You've got to have those trusted lieutenants, going back to Lencioni's and the importance of trust, who will tap you on the shoulder and have that difficult conversation. And I think that we don't do that enough. You know, there's a lot of both pluses and minuses around executive coaching or coaching in general. But remember, a coach is an accountability partner. They're there to help you achieve the things that you said or you have committed to achieving, right? That's what it's all about. 
And if you're not strong enough, and quite frankly, there are very few who are, who have that ability to be self-reflective, especially in the moment when, again, I want to go do this you know, really cool maneuver to, to say that's not the smartest thing to do. And I think it's so important to understand that you've got to surround yourself with, with people that you can trust. And trust is is something that is earned, as we say, you 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 uh, accumulate it by the drop, but you spend it by the bucket full. I think it's one of the comments you said. And it's so very, very true. And I'm curious about how you of all the years of leading the Rosewood family companies, how you find those trusted lieutenants who can tap you on the shoulder and say, Chandler, you said your mission was this. Did you ever find yourself drifting and you needed that course correction to that North Star? I think you see it in the success of dieting, working out there you go. anywhere in the world. Sure. If you look at the true, you know, despite the fads and all the other things, but the true level of commitment to that is building accountability. Again, self-preservation is a natural reaction. It is just what you do. And so there's times you do not feel like doing it or you stray out of probably a primal so, reaction, right? It is a very much right? a survivability and very much a survivability to want to be the coolest guy doing the maneuver. Right. Um, you know, and so we could get really nerdy out into how primates actually do. You know, animals do that as well. So it is very much a, a natural reaction. So accountability partners are huge, intentionally building structures that, you know, we talk about diversity of thought. Yes. And again, not yes. to get into the PC part of yes. it, but if you don't intentionally build people around you and challenge your ideas and your thoughts, you are asking for a lot of trouble. Um, and and people succeed. So those of you who are thinking, oh, I know people that you know they did it on their own. They did it. I did it my way. I think yeah. it's a Sinatra maybe sings a song like that. So, uh, but the odds are, you hear all row in the same direction. That should be step two after step one of getting in a room with people who will challenge your ideas, vet that idea, consider other you know options, how it's going to play out, how it's going to reflect. Is it in alignment with your why, with your yes. BHAG, with your values, your big, hairy, audacious goals? You'll hear BHAG a lot with us probably. But um, they run through that scenario of self-reflection and outside accountability. Then once the decision is arrived at, then you all row in the same direction. The debate's over. You go out of the room ready to go. You skip that first one at your own peril. I use the analogy. If we all just jump in and start rowing in the same direction, we may row right off a waterfall. <laughs> well, certainly the river got more rough. It got more rapid. They call it rapids for a reason. Generally, right. rapids are leading either to a narrowing or a right. drop. And so you want to make sure you get those people around. We've covered a lot of ground today for sure, Scott. What's your closing thought on a why? You know, what makes it a good starting point for our, our first discussion? I, I, because I think it's essential to everything. If, if you truly don't know why you're doing what you're doing, why you exist on this planet, it's going to be a very long and difficult road. Because you mentioned Nietzsche and, and also um, Viktor Frankl mentioned his book, Man's Search for Meaning, is if you understand your why, you can endure almost any how. And the thing is, every single day there are going to be challenges, whether it's the economy, whether it's your relationships, whether it's just you know physical ailments, those sort of things. Challenges are going to be there, but you've got to be able to, to understand that going through these challenges is worth it because the why in which you have set for yourself is vitally important and it is the thing that is worth living for. 
And it's kind of hard to put the spiritual element in it. We generally don't like mixing too much of, of religion into into business. But you've got to understand why you exist. Really, why are you on this planet? Why did God put you here? And how can you make the maximum use of that time? As we mentioned, time is not something you can get back. So if you've got a purpose, you've got a why, a little bit easier. Certainly is, because in those difficult times, you can look for the North Star. And so many people don't think that way. They think very near term, going back to what we talked about already. And I, I feel bad for them. Like I said, after six decades, I can look back on life and saying, I should have you know, figured out my why earlier because I could have made the journey during those years uh, before that much more effective than they were. And so that's what I'm all about. I'm all about using what I've learned, using my talents, using my God-given gifts and the blessings that have been bestowed upon me to help others. And that's what it's all about. So if anyone that we that listens to this podcast uh, takes something and says, you know something, I'm going to spend a little bit of time learning my why. You know, And it's not just this you know, touchy-feely, feel-good term. It's important. And if they need help, they should reach out for people at help. Find those trusted partners. And more importantly, take the journey, endure the hardships, because it's overall it's worth it. Well said. I think that the hardships, the failures of life, things that are not in your control, you know, the natural cycle of life that we all are running towards death, regardless of how hard we fight. It's the only guarantee that we have. <laughs> so those all seem pessimistic. And if you dwell on them, they are. But if you can look at the journey you were on and how you approach that journey, whether you reach what you want to reach or not, you can go to bed and sleep well. You can yes, correct often, and you can move in a direction that is uh, worth, I guess, people giving some honor and some praise. And there may be no one to give it, but internally, you know, you stayed in alignment with what you wrote down, personally believed, stated, whatever it is. That why, like if, you know, my why, like I said, it, it does come from a biblical reference of the parable of the talents of, mm-hmm. um, you know, three servants were were left with called talents, which were actually money coins. Um, one buried them and did nothing with them. The other two multiplied them in various amounts, um, two and five, I believe. But you know, when the master came back, which is a representation of when you die and you meet your maker, mm-hmm. there will be an evaluation of what did you do? Now, this is not whether you're going, you know, if you're going to get, I'm not going to get fully religious, not whether you're going to heaven or not, but it is what did you do with the blessings you were given? There you go. And is it good and faithful or is it not? And so we're all given blessings, whether that is being a great father, a great mother, whether that's being someone who uh, builds people's pride if it's a great comforter which is an awesome you know something i don't possess that well but uh you know someone who can give great comfort we've all met some people that you could talk to in five minutes and you just feel amazing but if they had if they keep that to themselves they don't use that and they don't find a way to live it out i think they're in for uh the same tough road most everyone has yes. but their ability to endure it and find joy in it and to look back and say i ran the race well will be hindered. So the why does seem, you know, like some crazy concept that business people should not be talking about. But if you don't personally know it and you don't know and understand it can articulate it in your job and your manager can't articulate it and your business can't articulate it, it's perfectly legit, especially for some of the, the, the younger generation to look at you and go, who are you? You say you're something and you say this exactly and you say right. that, but who are you? Exactly right. And if you can't answer that question, they have a good point. 
And so I would challenge you to take the time in your 20s, in your 30s, in your 40s as a leader and as a friend, a husband or whatever it is, a child of someone else. What does that mean? And it, and it seems like a long one, but I, I would argue that using the gifts you've been given to better people and to invest in other people and to be responsible with the things in front of you will bring you great joy. And if you do a lot of study on what it truly means to be happy, not in a laughing happy, yes. but fulfilled is yes. probably a better word in life. It yes. is finding a reason to exist, setting out goals and taking responsibility and achieving those in the incremental steps, no matter how small, which is key, no matter how small that first step is, could be tiny. If you want to write something and you can't write it, just take the pen and paper out and set it out day one and day two. Just so start with so powerful. The yeah. simple things. Yeah. The simple things of taking those steps. Um, and so take the time to do it. Find people that can help you and will talk to you. Hopefully in your business world, you find leaders that will invest in you, invest the time to explain and break down, decompose the business. Why? Certainly, if they're really in touch, leaders that take passion in their servant leadership, they'll explain some of their personal why, which is why Scott and I are sharing it. You don't have to share those beliefs, but this is us. And if they can't be vulnerable and humble enough to do it, I would probably tell you to find somewhere else to work. Agreed. Agreed. Thank you, everyone. Scott, I appreciate the time. Been fantastic, Chandler. Looking forward to doing it again. Till next time. Cheers. That's a wrap on our first episode of Powerhouse Perspective. Our thanks to Chandler for his time and for joining our inaugural episode to share his wisdom and insights. Please be on the lookout for episode two, and please consider following Helmwise on LinkedIn and subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about Helmwise Growth Consultants, please visit helmwise.com. Until next time, cheers.